Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me as always is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello. I have made it back from saving a civilization or starting to save it. I actually don't know what I did, uh, but I'm here. I survived. <laughs> I played Frostpunk. Did you, I was going to say, did you totally forget the the start of like New Home or whatever it was called at the very beginning? The first campaign main story of Frostpunk? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Why? Because, well, okay, so I also played Last Autumn. We're just going to jump right yeah, into what we're it. playing because, yeah, let's let's just go. Uh, we were both playing Frostpunk Last Autumn, and I know you guys know how much I loved Frostpunk. It was, uh, I think, in my uh, games of the year in 2018. It was so phenomenal, and they've been adding more and more to the game. They've been doing a lot of stuff, a lot of DLC, everything else. It, it, there's just... There's so much to do. There's endless mode now. And yeah, so last autumn just came out this week. And Ryan, you got a review code for the game, right? Yes, I did. Uh, I got a review code. I started playing this week. I was out of town, so I didn't get a chance to play right away. But uh, I played this week and I was reminded how addicting Frostpunk is for me in terms of the one more turn approach. Um, oh god yeah <laughs> i definitely i remember so i remember you talking very fondly of Frostpunk in at the end of 2018 and then i was like okay I'm, i've got to check it out now so i did and i was like okay well i guess i'm playing all of this now and i i just pretended there wasn't an endless mode because that would be the death of me um or the death of me playing all other games because exactly <laughs> i this thing really i don't know what it is i was talking to a friend of mine i said oh it's got that one more turn sort of civilization feel They're like oh i don't like civilization it's like you know i know i get it because civilization takes that's the reason it's got that one more turn feel it's like one more turn but you're slowly turning the dial and then stuff happens over hours instead of well in actuality over turns but in frostpunk you feel like when we say one more turn i think one more day you really feel that change each day that progression as things are moving forward you know there are multiple resources that you're harvesting there are buildings you're trying to build there's the heat i was gonna say i it reminds me more along the lines of like a sim city right where you've mm -hmm. got the the constant time is going so it's not necessarily like turn by turn it's like you have a constant timer and you can control the speed of it you can pause it you can fast forward you know, so you can uh, kind of advance time at whatever pace you need it to go. And so, yeah, it reminds me a little bit more of SimCity in that way. And the thing that I always found so compelling about Frostpunk is the kind of circular build pattern. Because you're building around a central heat source in, in the main game and uh, in the expansion, or I guess the DLC, last autumn... And this is why I'm laughing at like, you're like, I don't even really know what I did, but I did it yeah. um, because last autumn, basically what you're doing is um, so civilizations in England is basically collapsing and everyone is realizing it's like the, the scientists have done the research. Everyone is realizing that they're going into a global cooling event due to it's basically like an alternate kind of uh, alternate timeline where we never really evolved beyond like steampunk technology, mm -hmm. which then in turn like pollutes the earth and then, you know, puts too many particles into the air, which causes the formation of too many clouds, which then kind of like 
shrouds the earth and drops the temperature. It's like the it's a global cooling instead of a global warming, which is uh, which is really, really interesting. And so the scientists in the game have kind of discovered that this is coming. And so they've decided to send you out to build these generators. So this is what last autumn is. Basically, when you start playing Frostpunk and you're playing New Home, you are coming across these generators and you're building your civilization around that, right? Or your cities, uh, your settlements, more likely, uh, around the generators. So what Last Autumn is, is the first set of teams that were sent into that area to build the generators that were meant to save civilization. So mm. that's what you're doing in Last Autumn is you're you're in charge of creating these generators in order to heat the last uh settlements of humans basically. Yeah. And they and they did a fantastic job uh with this scenario and they've really done a great job with all of the scenarios. If you if you pick up Frostpunk right now without the season pass, you are going to get the main scenario like the main campaign plus many other scenarios that kind of build in the lore. Like there's a mm-hmm. really good one about sort of preserving um all of the animals uh plants and uh there was one other one maybe like sea creatures or something i can't remember but it was a really neat one where you're just trying to preserve basically earth creatures uh during this this uh mass uh snowstorm and and in this one last autumn again they pick out a really cool part of the lore that i didn't think i needed but they made it fun like you're building these generators and you don't even think like oh well how interesting can that be but they they take this generator that feels so simple and also complete when you play the main game. Right, because you're, you're so familiar with those mm-hmm. generators because it's so central to every other Frostpunk scenario that you've played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and they build it out into I, what I think was a six to seven hour sort of run for me. I, I did end up finishing it uh, successfully. Um, and you know, there, there's some, uh, there's some stuff near the end that always seems to happen in this game where you just, you know, I've been really good so far. I'm just going to be tyrannical now. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's no other way really. Like I don't yeah, know how said this scenario is going to end. Matt and I had dinner tonight and then I was like, okay, I've got to go back downstairs. Uh, I need to, uh, what does I, I need to send some children to the mines and I need to give the prostitutes something to do. Yes. <laughs> And he was like, what? Okay, go enjoy being a dictator, honey. I was like, thank you, bye. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. Were there children in in this scenario? I remember there are children in the other scenarios. There's children in the other scenario, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, but there's definitely prostitutes in this scenario. I do remember, yes. remember that. And occasionally, uh, so in this Gotta one. Gotta keep the workers happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, the the law that they, they give you, the law book that they give you first, I think, is administration, which I believe is is very reminiscent of ones you'd be used to uh, from the main game. And one of them is uh, prostitution, but that goes in a weird way where it's like, oh, well, you know, the prostitutes are spreading disease. So now you got to get them checked every once in a while. And that, that certainly doesn't help morale. Um, (laughs) Yeah. No one wants to think about diseased prostitutes. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's like every decision you make in these games. And I'm not, I'm, I love, I love, I loved the last autumn. I loved playing it and I'm not railing on it, but every decision you make, there's no positive. There's, there's no positive whatsoever because everybody's there and they're kind of like, 
you know, there, there's a lot, there's, there's climate deniers, you know, oh, we're just here to get, make a big bucks. And like, oh, you know, these people are taking it too seriously. Like they're working us to the bones. Like, no dude, like we're trying, you don't know what I know in the sense that I know mm-hmm. this generator is going to save uh, lives. And also I dig all of the references to every other scenario that you've played in Frostpunk. Yes. And uh, th- mo- some of which pop up in the, I, and I really love timers and, you know, sending and watching a line progress and, and sending people out on the expeditions. And those are back in this one where you have foragers. Um, in my instance, I found a lot of the foragers that I were creating uh, were just finding sort of raw food sort of areas. They were actual foragers. Yeah. You know, they'd find reindeer and they found some old cabins to raid. Uh, but you come across a couple of cool sort of references to uh, Winter Home specifically. Uh, which is the, I believe it was the last free update. Mm-hmm. And there was another cool one, which I, ho- I hope we see more in terms of lore building, but you see what the French tried to do to sort of battle uh, the incoming sort of storm. Um, and, I, and I thought that was really cool. And I'm like, oh, I want to see more of that. I mean, this game, mm-hmm. there's so much potential because this is, a, we, I assume, a global event and you could kind of look you could kind of look to see what other parts of the world are doing and, and have fun with that and still keep the core concept of heat management. But that was the, that was the interesting part about this where I had to retrain my brain. There's no, there's no heat management until I'd say the, the last quarter of, of the scenario, right? Cause it is the last autumn. So a majority of it takes place in autumn really. Right. And I actually I really enjoyed that because it was a slightly different aesthetic. Like you're still playing in the exact same area, because like I said, you're basically setting up the camps that you then discover. Like this is all like it's like a prequel to what you played in in the original Frostpunk uh, story. So you're kind of living in this area that it's it's cold and there are like there's some like snowy areas but the area where you're building your settlement is very much like you know there's a lot of green there's a lot of trees there's you know like not everything is like snow covered which i thought was it was just a really nice aesthetic to to live in this frostpunk world that normally the majority of it is white so it was really nice to to get like a little bit of a shake up there and, and kind of see what's under all the snow. But, uh, but yeah, like I, I really enjoyed the going back and like doing prequel type stuff. Cause like you said, like it's such a simple sort of a premise, you know, like you've got a generator, it makes heat, you build out from the generator and you need to manage your resources in order to, you know, build as big of a settlement as you can without, you know, like killing too many people. And it's a pretty simple premise, but they've managed to drill down into the lore of this world in a way that I never would have thought mm-hmm. possible. You know, like it just, oh man, it's it's just so good. And I love how they really lean into the idea of this whole like dystopian future or past, I guess. I think it happens in the, is it the mid 1900s? Yeah. I can't remember. It, I, I can't I remember when year. it's actually supposed to take place. But um, anyway, so you uh, basically it's this like dystopian world and you've got this like basically dis- dictatorship type of a society because you 
have to do these things to save humanity right like to to save some amount of people otherwise humans are literally going to go extinct and it's just so interesting and compelling because you're basically like not even choosing the lesser of two evils like they they're just they're both equally evil you just have to figure out which kind of evil you can stomach which i thought was just it's so interesting it's so compelling it's like well, what do you want to do? Do you want to like you have to build things faster? You're falling yeah. behind. So, you know, like, do you double the shifts and go 24 hours and then you have like a day shift and a night shift? Or do you make it so absolutely everybody has to work 14 hours instead of 10 hours and everybody works at the same time? And it's just like, what? I don't even whoa. Hey, <laughs> like yeah. neither of those sounds great. <laughs> I don't know. See, here's 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 where I came in uh, with this one. And then the so they they introduce a new book that uh, a new book of laws that i i don't remember seeing in the main game which is labor so yeah that's a as core... far as i know as far as i know this is different mm -hmm. because uh in last autumn your workers can actually strike and yeah. previously they couldn't do that because essentially like if you don't work everyone's going to die well, and it's like you're that... already you're already in like the winter event, right? So there was no like, oh, we're just going to choose not to work. So in last autumn, people still aren't convinced that like this big bad thing is coming. You know, uh, mainstream society doesn't know or understand what's happening. So it's very much like workers rules, right? Like it's very much like... um just the, the like uh, oh my god i feel like there's like a term and i'm totally for just blanking on it right now but like, when like workers like got together started unionizing like i feel like that period of time has a name there it's, is a name i yeah I right it. <laughs> i'm um, like it's not suffrage because that was like no. pushing for the vote it's something else <laughs> but anyways unionization like workers I, rights, I guess that sort of thing yeah yeah but, but i don't uh, I think I think in the in the really cool part when we talk about the the labor book and and as you said, this is this is not a a, a crisis of humanity yet. The government right. is aware. The government knows it. This is a very state driven uh, scenario. As like you have been contracted by the state to set up these these generators and you have contact with the motherland. You're building new London. You're given updates from London and that is a core concept of the game mm -hmm. not, not only the labor but a core concept of receiving goods from your homeland and you're building these docks and that's i think the the biggest thing to take home if you're going to play this is to early on understand the dock system because it's very different from the other frostpunk scenarios in that you're not harvesting all your resources you are collecting them from the mainland and they are delivered to you and then you need to build better and better technology to harvest uh, and collect those piles that are being unloaded from the ships. And they come fairly regularly. And I really like that mechanic and kind of want to go back and try endless mode in the sense that that would be really satisfying uh, because they would have to, you know, extend uh, that resource delivery because you don't have any or many natural resources in the area that you're in. And that's that's kind of probably the weirdest part is like, although I guess you were mining for stuff in the main game and then you kind of just had whatever wood you can find and 
that you could mine wood. Yeah, from it was kind and... of yeah, exactly. You had uh, you had wood that you could set up lumber mills. You mm-hmm. had I, like piles of essentially like debris from previous uh, civilizations, previous settlements, stuff like that. And then you had the coal you could mine. Um, but yeah, I. I really enjoyed the the contact with London too because I mean we we've talked a little bit about how much they're expanding on lore in ways that we never really considered and I found that a lot of the contact from London kind of gave the story it fleshed out the story even more it's like a, a, there's things that you have to deal with like murderers and you had to deal with murderers in um the original Frostpunk scenarios, but it was like you were totally on your own. So it's like, okay, what do you want your new society to do? Do you want to try to establish like laws and police in a jail or do you not have time for that? And you're just going to hang him to make an example of him. Does he get a trial? Like all those kinds of things. Whereas like you have the support of London now, so you can, you know, decide do you want to keep him or send him away or, you know, like there's, there's all kinds of stuff you have to figure out there. And each different choice has these has all of these different um, like consequences and it made everything so much more interesting. And you'd get like all of the all of the workers were getting like letters from home. And, you know, how much do you tell them? Because the whole idea and the reason why the labor stuff comes in and why you kind of let the workers still think that maybe they're in control is because you don't want to start a panic. So the the fact that you're still in touch with London and the workers are still in touch with London means that you can't do things that would otherwise upset the workforce because then if they start to panic and we're like, no, we have to do this. You have to work 24 hours a day because if you don't, you know, all everyone's going to die. Then, you know, Joe Blow writes a letter to his wife back home. She tells everybody, oh, guess what? You know, my husband just wrote me from the the construction project that he's working on and guess what we're all gonna die (laughs) like you know and then mass panic ensues so so you have to there's a there's a level of control you have to exert while managing the fact that the rest of civilization still exists so it was kind of a cool twist on on frostpunk like not that you didn't have the 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 hard decisions to make you still definitely do but uh, it was it was a different kind of of decision making tree, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I no. should mention too, like I so I finished a playthrough, but I was terrible at it. I I died basically. I got fired, <laughs> so I, my scenario ended. I was unsuccessful, and largely because I didn't grasp. Well, it took me a long time to remember even like the basics because it was it's been a while since I played. So even the basics of remembering how to build a road (laughs) or you know uh how to harvest resources and stuff and i didn't realize until i was like seven or eight days behind schedule that you were actually able to do more than just assign workers to the resource piles at the docks that you could actually set gathering posts nearby and then they would gather from the docks like that just never really clicked to me i thought they were just like gathering to clear up the debris in the area and like gather what resources they could basically find fallen on the ground. And so like I built these gathering posts and they gathered up everything from, you know, in where we were going to build the generator. And then I just, just like dismantled them. Cause I was like, okay, I don't need these anymore. Like (laughs) moving on. And, and I, so I had no steel for like the whole scenario. 
And I was like, what is happening? Why can't I do this? So, yeah, I think um, basically the last autumn throws you right in. And though it does have a tutorial to explain the new things to you, I think it's maybe worth playing through like the very first scenario, even the first like 30 minutes to an hour of the first Frostpunk scenario, just to reacquaint yourself with the basics of the game. Because last autumn is challenging. It's meant to be difficult. It's meant for you to have played all the rest of Frostpunk and have a very good understanding of it. And then it's meant to challenge you from there. So it's definitely not a, um, if you've never played Frostpunk, jump right into Last Autumn. It's it's an advanced challenging scenario. Um, so, I mean, as much as, you know, Ryan, I'm so happy that you made it through. <laughs> I definitely did not because I did not remember my my base mechanics. I still made it pretty far. And I think if I hadn't fallen so far behind... I would have been able to do much better. And, I, and I'm going to go back. Like, I'm, I want to just, like, finish the show so I can go back and play more Frostpunk. Yeah, like. <laughs> I'm also at that point where I'm thinking to myself, like, hmm, can, do I have time? Do Should I risk playing Frostpunk? Uh, <laughs> do I want to try Endless Mode? Um, I think the really... So the thing that I really loved about this expansion is, is a lot of the other s- scenarios have had sort of small twists. This one feels like very much a lot of it is is new but borrows and leans on like you said a lot of the stuff in the other scenarios even just building roads and having networks of sort of where buildings are placed and how buildings interact with one another that's the Mm -hmm. core concept you need to know from the main game is how those buildings interact and then the worker engineer system um you mentioned the 24 hour uh, sort of work shift uh mode i found that to work quite well and and gave me a nice balance of uh keeping resources coming in because technically the workers weren't as upset by the 24-hour shifts they were upset when you know they got the evening shift but eventually it kind of all just worked itself out and and i had a balance so in this scenario you have motivation uh and there's three tiers of motivation and the higher the motivation bar the you you get a 30 percent boost to productivity and then there's the discontent, which essentially is your you're going to be fired uh, meter if you if it raises all the way. And there are moments in this scenario that can have both bars wildly swinging around. So you need to kind of weigh your options. And the game telegraphs that. Yeah, see, that really I kept well. I kept my discontent. And when I actually got fired, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I mean, I I was watching the generator progress in the bottom corner and it wasn't going because I had a really long strike and I didn't understand how to actually like I researched and I implemented like laws around safety and stuff, but I didn't realize I had to actually go in to like the building and like click it on and stuff. So I was like, I did safety things. Why aren't they going back to work? What the hell? Like I'm, I'm raising safety. Um, but I wasn't actually like turning it on and making it effective in those buildings. So, um, because again, like you've, you've got to, it's all about management. It is very much like a, it's a strategy game. It's a simulation and it's very much about managing the like pluses and minuses of everything. So for instance, like you can make the workplace safer, which means that you'll have less deaths and your workers will be more content. So they will keep working. They won't strike, but you will suffer, you know, a 25% reduction in productivity because they're working slower because they're mm-hmm. working safely. So, you know, like it, there's trade-offs all the time through this game. So you have to learn to 
balance and and figure out what acceptable risk is and and all the rest of it. So it, it's very it's very deep. There's a lot of really interesting systems that are kind of built on top of each other and interact with each other and make your choices feel like they have a lot of impact. But what I was going to say was I was, you know, kind of I knew I was way behind on schedule and there was a, like a little notification that popped up that was like, oh, I'm your boss. If you don't, you know, cat, if you don't meet your next deadline, mm-hmm. you, you lose and Brr, um, you're fired. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is funny because, you know, you're you're just fired in last autumn. If you fail in original Frostpunk, you're like lynched. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> but sure you're murdered. So. You're totally murdered. Totally murdered. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So anyways, I, my boss popped up and was like, if you don't do better and meet your next deadline, you're going to get fired. And then so what I couldn't figure out was when my deadline was because my my discontent was almost nothing. Mm-hmm. My motivation was kind of hovering around like 50% almost the whole game. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it was just like, bah, you're fired. And so I couldn't figure out, like I, I hovered over and it said, you know, like you're seven days behind or you're eight days behind or whatever. Right. But I'm like, okay, but where's my checkpoint? Like how long do I have to catch up? Like, yeah. So when so in this mode, there are four phases, four milestones for building the generator, and each one has a very specific set of uh, sort of steps requirements. Yeah. And in the bottom left, it's not as descriptive as you would hope, because on the bottom and this isn't necessarily a knock to the game, but they should have pointed you more towards the actual useful screen. So if you hit the G key um, for generator in the sense that uh, if you're playing on this, this scenario is only available uh, on PC, although we'll be coming to the console later on. If you hit the G key, it opens up the generator milestone screen, which will show you exactly what you need to build in terms of resources and exactly which things you, you have to sort of put in place and which, uh, which technologies you need to research. In the bottom left, you'll see the timer. It's very faint, but um, there's a timer. It starts as a, as a white bar, and then as it goes lower and lower, it will go from yellow to, to red. Um, I did. Maybe get the I warning. didn't really understand because mine was just always red because I was constantly behind because of my not understanding how to properly get yeah. steel as a resource. But um, yeah, like I, I noticed, like my timer was red because I was I was behind, and it was telling me. There were like three things that I had to do, but I was like, for instance, like I and my workers were getting really sick. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I should get the ventilation thing instead. So I researched that instead of the thing that I was supposed to. And that put me like three or four days, extra days behind. And I was like, oh, I didn't like didn't realize it was going to be like that big of a punishment like i guess i should just follow exactly the things that it's telling me to do like that so there didn't seem to be a lot of flexibility there but again maybe if i had been ahead of schedule i could have done that that ventilation thing and i wouldn't have been in in so much trouble but anyways it was uh i mean i don't want to go into to too too much detail because i don't want to give away like all of the best strategies and stuff it's mm-hmm. it's half the fun of this is kind of figuring out for yourself what works and what doesn't so um but yeah overall like i really enjoyed it and i feel i should mention so like ryan you you did get a a review copy um my review copy didn't work because by the time i went to go and actually uh try to log into the game then uh the beta had actually finished so the the beta key that i had wasn't good anymore which Mm -hmm. is totally fine because i love frostpunk so much and like i mentioned 
I listed it as one of my games of the year in the year that it launched in, in 2018. So, I mean, I love it enough <laughs> to support the game. And I got a review copy way, way back when Frostpunk first came out. So I had never actually sunk any money into this game. So I just went and bought the season pass. I was like, you know, it's on sale right now. The Steam's got its sale thing going on. Or I think there's a weekend sale or something. I don't even know. It's the lunar sale. But but I think it's always yeah, like 30% every, Oh, my God. There's always a Steam sale. It's just yeah. it's just always happening. There's don't just buy so anything, many excuses. Because it's, yeah. it's just going to go on sale. <laughs> I got an email today that was like, hey, that, that Disco Elysium game that you wanted and then paid full price for and then returned because that was ridiculous it's on sale now for 30 percent off i was like oh maybe i'll actually go buy it now but anyways um yeah so i did i bought the season's pass uh of frostpunk and so now i have a whole bunch more scenarios and all kinds of cool stuff because i'd actually missed a dlc so i didn't even realize it had come out so yeah. I'm uh, I'm stoked because I have so much Frostpunk to play now. I want yeah, everyone. You guys should go check it out. Exactly. I want to hear your thoughts on on the Rifts, which is the first piece of DLC that came out. I think it was um, sort of a smaller scenario. But mm-hmm. if if folks who are listening to this that missed out on our you know 2019 early 2019 and late 2018 sort of Frostpunk love, it is available on Game Pass, both PC and the console version for Xbox One. If you want to check it out. Um, just to get a taste of it but yeah this uh this scenario is best played after really get digging deep um in the main game and the main game has i think six or seven i think six scenarios it launched with three and then i think they added f- yeah i three played more. the three i played the three launch ones mm-hmm. so and the additional ones that they added for free are i think on the scale of of these expansions they've been offering some are bigger some are smaller but they're really cool. They dig into the lore, and it's totally worth checking out. Uh, I I actually think maybe I'll I'll check out the console version to see how that plays. That would be mm. that would be kind of interesting to see how they kind of fit that all onto a controller. But yeah, definitely worth checking out. I really really liked the last autumn. I'm glad I got back into Frostpunk because I missed it so much. <laughs> Yeah, it's really, really great. So if you guys can't tell, yeah, we definitely recommend it. And right now, if you want to grab Last Autumn, it's uh, on sale. So it's uh, just under 20 bucks Canadian. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you do grab the Seasons Pass, the Seasons Pass is 27 Canadian. So Seasons Pass gives you access to, obviously, everything. So um, you're basically paying the same 20 that you would for Last Autumn, but then with uh, with another couple of things layered on top for like seven bucks. And this is all Canadian dollars. Yeah. So I know you guys down in the States, you're just like 20 Canadian dollars. That's like two dollars American. Yeah, yeah, it is. So uh, go yeah. check it out. <laughs> Good luck. We're all counting on you. So uh, no, uh, I before we move on, I want to quickly state. Oh, OK. Uh, sorry. When I no, when I was playing, uh, I don't and I don't want to go into spoilers, but I texted you, you asked how I did. I did finish it. But like every Frostpunk scenario, like it gets pretty hairy near the end as you're trying to finish it. So I kind of went all uh, I got all worried that I was going to die. So I was just like, no, this is the greater good. And we're going to we're going to do some stuff. And basically, long story short, like a bunch of people came forward and like, these folks are traitors and we're going to, we're going to kill them. And then the options are basically like, um, let them kill them. It doesn't look like you can stop them or basically start like a, start like a murder platform. Uh, and (laughs) I I guess I chose murder platform. I didn't, I wasn't sure like what my options were. Yes. 
I guess I chose murder. <laughs> but what I'll say is, um, like, I, I when I when I chose it, I was like, well, okay, they're gonna murder all of them. I'm pretty sure there's like two more days, unless in Frostpunk, you know, classic fashion, we all die in the end because someone made a mistake. So either they're gonna murder everyone in one fell sweep swoop, or I can like space it out until we go home. So I chose. <laughs> I I chose the space it out it <laughs> option. And I don't know if that was the right call. Um, I feel like my civilization oh my screwed up way before that choice was made. Like maybe, maybe there's some deep-seated issues between like the engineers and the workers, and maybe that's Gee, my you fault. Think? Maybe that's my fault. But I felt like maybe the murder platform was was not a great way to go out on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, New London uh, generators all good. I. I even got like the bonus stuff done, so which 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 was interesting because the bonus stuff fell in with uh, some high end sort of tech upgrades that I remember from the main game. So, anyways, um, just be mindful of that when you're playing that your 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 choices have deep. <laughs> be careful, yeah. Be careful issues. where you're going because if you're not, then you might end up with a murder platform. And, and the thing is, I could have said I'll build the murder platform and then we're talking about a literal platform just in case everybody understands like this isn't just like a, a rule so set. literally a stage where yeah. you just had execution just where you murder people every morning and um <laughs> every morning every not morning even when they commit a crime just like you wake up you're like okay you <laughs> yeah well they what? were traitors i'm not joking i mean <laughs> I, do you know they were traitors or I you just don't assume know this the people have spoken okay <laughs> um the thing is, the, the, the people the, have spoken. We murder. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we. Uh, I'm glad I stopped uh, this train so I so I could share the story because it is hilarious. Yeah. And I think I think really what happened was um, when when I chose that, I probably should have just said, "Yeah, I'll build the murder platform," and then not built it. But because I, I yeah, then you might have had like a little bit of discontent or something. Yeah, you know, it's like As oh, we didn't get to murder people. Murder. So, but oh, at least we nine saved humanity. o'clock. Guess we a murder. <laughs> no, seriously. Like every morning, there'd just be a murder, and then motivation would just skyrocket. It's like, well, of course, <laughs> we're randomly murdering people. Like my motivation would go up as well if there was a random lottery for the execution platform. See, I would feel like my motivation would go down because I'd be like, well, it's random anyway. So why the hell am I going to spend my potential last because day then on that's Earth? How you get working. murdered, Jocelyn? It's not random anymore when you're not doing your work. <laughs> See, I feel like I should have got fired. You're a dictator and a half, dude. I didn't realize the the path I was on with this. This is the, what this game does to people. Like, I think when we talked about it, not to to uh, to people. Yeah, this is what this game does. And I I got. I guess I just. I have no. It was just. It was bad. It just all went downhill at the very end. And I quote unquote won. Um, but at what cost? Do you feel like you did though? No, I don't. Honestly, I, I felt a little sick. I think that's the key sick. to Frostpunk that even when you win, you're not quite sure if you did because it just doesn't feel well, good. Like you kind of feel you. good. Yeah. At the end, it's but like in the best possible way, I guess. Right. Like I love the game. It's so good, and I want to keep playing it through over and over. So it must be doing something right. But yeah, maybe it's just exposing how much we're all just terrible people. Well. Like, again, in my defense, the game doesn't give you great options. And it, when you're when you're given when you're given the task of like building this humanity saving device, 
the options are never great. So um, people might think I'm a terrible person, but honestly, uh, the choices presented to you, I think, lead to to these type of scenarios, no matter what, unless unless you do like I, I had my people working 24 hour shifts, but at least it was split, right? It was like basically, well, you're uh, you don't have to. You, you don't have to work all 24 hours. You just have to work half of those 24 hours. Yeah, so. you work 12 hours. Yeah, 12-hour yeah. shifts. Except for instead of, you know, rotating 12-hour shifts, it's just every day is a 12-hour shift. <laughs> yeah, I guess they didn't. But they got to sleep for the other 12. So There you go. <laughs> Maybe I'm a bad person. Uh, I don't know. A little bit, a little oh, bit. <laughs> it's a game. It's a game. It's a means to an end. I had to save London. You'll thank me later. <laughs> <laughs> on that note if you guys do enjoy the content that we produce head on over to patreon.com slash the gamers in to support the show like our january patron Shatlux did thank you so much for supporting the gamers in that brings us to the news this week uh, we have a couple follow-ups from some of the stories we covered last week so last week we were talking about uh, super nintendo world over in japan well this week we've actually gotten some confirmation uh, that Super Nintendo World is not only coming to Orlando like we were talking about, but it's going to be opening in 2023. So we've actually got a concrete or at least a date that they're shooting for because, you know, these mm -hmm. kind of things always get delayed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're building the future of sort of theme park entertainment, right? But 2023 seems pretty solid. And I guess it's part of a, an expansion they were already doing, the Epic Universe Park. So it's kind of like part of a, a new sort of wing for Universal Studios. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's good. I can do 2023. And by then, like a majority of my kids will be old enough to enjoy uh, going to Florida. <laughs> the majority. Yeah. Sixty six percent. I mean, three like so right now, Abby is two and a half. So the third child, uh, whatever we end up calling it, um, will will be three in a bit by the time i mean we're not gonna go the day it opens like i'm not crazy. right but you know <laughs> three or four like maybe go in 2024 once they you know iron out all the all the toad kinks and that sort of thing um so yeah i think uh i think i think that sounds good to me 2024 see you florida i'll be there in a i'll be there in a bit so <laughs> uh and speaking of potential delays or actual delays we uh i don't think we actually got to talk about this one last week did we did we um i no, think no it was posted. the delay was it was announced like right after we recorded the show so um cyberpunk 2077 has been delayed uh from april into september and at first we didn't really know what the problem was but mm -hmm. it seems like they're having problems with current gen console limitations so essentially They've built this super awesome game and the PlayStation or PS4 and Xbox One are having trouble running it. So they're having to downgrade some stuff. Obviously, they haven't confirmed this. This is all, no, you know, is... speculation and rumors. But <laughs> well, the interesting part it checks about out this... with Witcher. It, it does. With... Yeah. So yeah. with The Witcher 3, they did a big pre-release run and people started like they do. They started comparing sort of pre-release visuals to release visuals. And there was a difference. And that's that's just game development. And what it causes folks to do is to basically lock their engine and, and then unveil the game like they they've sort of done with Cyberpunk. There's been maybe a couple of gameplay demos and they've been very forward about this is not final. Things could change. 
And I think there's been a lot of talk about this delay sort of out there. And, and then when the story, you know, broke, a lot of developers have come out and saying like, yeah, like the last five months is essentially when you start fine tuning for your low end uh, sort of specs. So that would mean current gen sort of launch consoles. So your PS4 launch and your Xbox one launch, as well as the other options like the pro and the X and that's just kind of game development. But that being said, it still means there will there. Yeah. They're struggling because these, these systems are what? Six years old. Yeah. Literally at the end of their lifespan. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're dealing with PC hardware that, you know, main could be further along based on the fact that, um, new consoles are going to launch and then PC hardware will, will sort of spike a little bit. Uh, but PC hardware is still way ahead of the con the current gen consoles right now. So CD project red was normally just a PC developer and they, they could sort of play in that playground to their heart's content. But the other thing about consoles, like blaming consoles for degrading visuals, there are stories out there when the Witcher three came out, you know, the Witcher three wouldn't exist without those console versions. Like they wouldn't have got the publishing deal they needed. Right. They wouldn't yeah. have sold enough copies. The console versions of the Witcher franchise actually kept it alive. Um, now, do you think that the same is true for Cyberpunk 2077? I don't. I think I, I think right now, because of the Witcher's success, CD Projekt Red could just release Cyberpunk 2077 on PC. But I also see the aspect of like, why why would you limit yourself from a platform standpoint when you could sell? copies on consoles that are and those are going to sell like this game is going to do amazing yeah i don't think i don't think anybody is going to pass on cyberpunk 2077 Mm -hmm. because of down res consoles yeah (laughs) and and i mean really like when we say down res uh and sort of to to meet the demands the of the current gen consoles i not everybody has a high powered PC. Like I have a fairly, you know, beefy computer, but I'm no, I'm not going to be able to run it at, at like high specs. Um, but, and it might, I might not even be able to beat what it's going to look like on the Xbox one X or whatever. Like some people might not have computers that'll allow them to push the specs past what it'll look like on Xbox one. I think the, it's a vocal minority that get really upset about the comparing visuals because I think most people just want to play the game. That's that's where I come from. I want it to run, you know, I want it to run well and I want to be able to play it. So those are my yeah. concerns. I'm kind of in the same camp. I find there's nothing that takes me out of a game more than like stuttering or load issues or, you know, seeing like the the structure behind the texture, if the texture doesn't load properly, you know, like those kind of things are the things that really take me out of the game. I would rather have a game that looks worse air quotes in that it doesn't have as many like super high detailed things. Cause again, graphic setting wise, there's very few things that I can run on, you know, full ultra mega high graphics. So, you know, like I would rather a game have those like Xbox one X type graphics. If it means that the game itself is going to run really, really smoothly. And I won't have to worry about, you know, stuttering, I won't have to worry about load screens or, you know, any of the rest of it. So anything, those are the kind of things that really take me out of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm okay with a, 
less detailed game if it means it's going to run smoothly and still look cool. Like, obviously, visuals are important, but I don't think it's the be all end all. Yeah, because like this kind of stuff that we're talking about is like ridiculously detailed stuff, right? Like <laughs> video games don't even half the time look like video games anymore because, you know, textures and processing power. It's just it's all so much further advanced that we're even getting, you know, past all the uncanny valley stuff like when you have actors and Keanu is a very good example when you have actors in video games now or Norman Reedus in um, the baby carrying thing. Death Stranding. Death Stranding. Yeah. <laughs> when you like baby they don't even. Thing. <laughs> yeah. The baby carrying game. Uh, you knew what I meant. His BB. All right. Come on. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, like those actors like look like themselves. The only time that they kind of maybe stop or you kind of get pulled out of it is usually hair technology because their hair just like looks stiff they don't like they're they're putting so many of the computer or the the console's resources into all of the like skin and facial features and and water and sweat and all of the skin all those kind of things that hair is often the last thing that they do so you know, that can stiff hair can really pull you out of it or at least remind you that you're in a video game instead of watching a movie. Mm. But uh, but yeah, like the in terms of like actors faces, like it, a lot of this stuff just looks like a movie now instead of what it is, which is, you know, computer graphics. Yeah, well, I, I think it's the reason I threw this story in here. And it is very I think it's misleading in terms of what's actually happening and that they are probably polishing a lot of bugs and fine tuning and and you know sort of uh, uh, benchmarking for lower specs all lower spec systems including on the PC they got to do that across the board and that's just what you do in the last five months and they needed those I guess they needed those five months the game is technically complete uh, they're just trying to you know crush some bugs and and get it running and yeah the Xbox One and PS4 versions are essential I think to the success of 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 this type of game this very large very high budget game it just you can't you can't uh, you can't sustain. limit yourself yeah yeah it's uh, it's just one and i could be completely wrong in terms of you can't i know you look at blizzard and, and they do just fine but like i don't think blizzard does not make games outside of world of warcraft at this scope and world yeah. of warcraft is supported by a subscription so um they've got that going for themselves uh, but I think, yeah, when you look at this as a single, you know, unit purchase, they need as many copies of these sold as possible. So the, I don't mind waiting. September brings us very close to the next gen consoles, which should be launching later on in the holiday this year. So I wonder if we get, are we going to see sort of this be a cross gen game? Um, I wonder if that, I would imagine, I would imagine so. Yeah, do you think like right at launch or do you think they wait a year and you get like Cyberpunk 2077 Redux for Xbox Series X and PS5? No, I think I think this will probably end up launching alongside consoles. I think that Xbox and PlayStation are going to want to get titles like this because, mm. I mean, I'm the kind of person that if there's like a Cyberpunk PlayStation 5 bundle, then that's probably what I'm going to buy because I'm going to want a launch console but I'm also, you know, like I wouldn't mind waiting a month or two to get into Cyberpunk since it's delayed anyways. Like I, I would definitely wait and then like buy a bundle for sure. Yeah. 
I so I think see. it would I I if I was CD Project Red, I would definitely be on those, you know, on Microsoft, on Sony being like, hey, how do we get Cyberpunk to be one of your like flagship? Hey, look what we've got titles. Yeah. Well, because I, I think there's lots of people who would be like, well, I'm going to play this game anyways. I can wait a little bit and grab it with a console and then I'll get like the best possible version of this amazing looking game. Yeah. Well, I wonder also if they will have, you know, Microsoft's talked about sort of cross-gen games being less of like purchasing two copies and more about, you know, entitlement, you know, kind of going across platforms, similar to how when you buy a game for PC, you don't have to buy it again when Windows 11 comes out, right? You just, you own the game, you play it. Right. And I wonder if we'll see some of that, maybe even in specific scenarios. I know Microsoft has essentially said when you buy Halo Infinite next holiday, you were buying a Microsoft copy, not necessarily an Xbox One or an Xbox uh, Series X copy. It's just a, it plays on the games. Um, right. And then, so if that's if that's how it goes and if that's what it means, then, I mean, you could potentially buy Cyberpunk come September, play it on the PC for a bit, and then, you know, buy buy an Xbox. Crap, I can't remember. Series which, X. What is, Series X, right. Um buy one of those and then just be able to play cyberpunk 2077 day one that would be that'd be great yeah i mean in this pre previous generation it required specific scenarios i think with the way microsoft did their play anywhere titles it had yeah. to be digital only like if you bought if i buy an xbox one sort of disc it doesn't work on p it doesn't you know cross you know those boundaries um but hopefully i i think we live in a world war where they could figure that stuff out and tie it to your account but that's where that's where i think you ran into issues and we'll see how it works i i imagine it'll be sort of tied to first party games um for for the most part but you're right cyberpunk 2077 is probably a great opportunity for the platform holders to start start courting cd project red and be like we want you to be last you know generations game that gets the bump in this new generation uh to to kind of like put you on the box you know because mm -hmm. there's not going to be outside of halo infinite it'll be really interesting to see what other titles they sort of prop up as you got to buy our console right at launch because of x and if it's you get to play cd project red or cd project red's new game with a bump um that's i think that's that's a good box quote right i probably you'd probably yeah. mix it up a bit maybe don't say bump <laughs> but uh i don't know they could probably shop it out they could figure it out but i i think you're right like it would be a big boost for sure yeah uh so we have another story to talk about this week that i find super interesting i mean we're talking a whole lot about you know sim simulations today with like Frostpunk and you know end of society and all the rest of it and I find this just absolutely fascinating. So if you guys aren't um, familiar right now, uh, which I'm sure you are because it's like all over everywhere right now, but yeah. there is a virus that is spreading in China right now called the coronavirus. And so the sales and active users on Plague Inc. are going through the roof. And apparently so much so that the developer actually had to put out a statement to say essentially that as much as they aim for realism and they have been recognized by places like the CDC even for their like realistic simulations of outbreaks, 
that it is in the end just a game. And I guess people have been trying to, you know, use it to simulate whether they're where the coronavirus might yeah. potentially go. And, you know, like it just it's crazy to me that people like would turn to a video game to try to, you know, like play home researcher like i don't even know but like i can't believe that, that i mean it's great for the developers of playing ink right like it's what a seven or eight year old game at this point so yeah. the fact that they're selling millions of copies right now is kind of great but i mean obviously at the expense of like real world like a real world catastrophe that's going on right now yeah. like people are but dying it, like yeah it, i just they, i yeah. can't believe like i i just can't believe that that this happens and I just find it so fascinating that people, I guess, like in a time of crisis, reach for whatever they possibly can to try to understand it. And for that to be a, a video game, I just I find this so fascinating. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. And it's not like at first you're, you were it got me thinking like, oh, people using this to kind of see like, OK, I want to avoid airports or like kind of like to see how it jumps around and then and then avoid those spots. But I think you nailed it on the head in the sense that people are just curious about how a virus can spread because the game obviously is a, is a work of fiction, but I would imagine parts of it are, are yeah. well, and reality, I mean, right? It's all, yeah. So it's basically like, it's not a scientific model, but they have been recognized by various different like disease control um, bodies and, and academic bodies for, their ability to basically apply you know scientific models to their game but in the end they cut they don't necessarily cut corners because again it, they are not science this is a video game so they've you know like kind of um they they've punched it up they've made it entertainment right yeah they, you and, need and the, and the virus whole to point, spread like kind of faster in the game to keep you occupied right well and and not just that but it's just like it's it's a game anyways and and the point is in plague inc is you're essentially playing as the virus like you are trying to kill everyone in the world as oh, quickly as possible like right it's, That's it's not right there yeah it's not like um so uh pandemic is a board game that has a very similar premise except for that you're playing the other side you're playing the humans trying to stop these like crazy deadly disease outbreaks so plague inc is the other way is the you're trying to essentially um, design the perfect virus in order to kill as many humans as you can. And once the cure is made, then basically you you start to die off. Like the disease is cured and then, you know, it, it comes into like, how long did it take humans to cure you? Uh, how many people were you able to kill? Like that kind of stuff. So it's from like a, the virus point of view and you have to like balance um, your like ability to spread with like how deadly you are with because like if you spread too fast and you're too deadly they'll put all the resources in the world into essentially curing you and then so your your kill count essentially won't be as high because they cure you too quickly so you have to be like kind of stealthy but if you're not lethal enough then you know like they'll just it, like they might ignore you but you'll never kill anybody so it's like it's a balancing act but again, it's all from the virus's point of view. So I find it really interesting that like, and again, th this kind of is probably because it's like, it's a computer game. So it feels more like a simulation, like a science experiment. 
Whereas like something like pandemic, which I, I would think that logically, if I'm trying to understand how things spread and what society's responses might be through some sort of a fictional game, I would probably choose a game that plays from the human perspective instead of the disease perspective. Yeah. But I mean, I think it's just the fact that Plague Inc. is a computer game versus a board game. You know, it's just it's so much more accessible to so many more people. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't have the stats on how many copies of Pandemic have been sold versus, you know, how many copies of Plague Inc. have been sold. But when you're, you know, talking about a, a single player computer experience or even mobile experience, because Plague Inc. has been on mobile for a long time. Yeah. Um, then, you know, that, that's a that's a whole different ball game than, you know, going going out to a store, buying a board game, finding people to play with you, blah, 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 blah. Like Plague Inc. is just more accessible. And so if you know, somebody needs a way to cope or to understand, then uh, I can see people. I mean, a lot of people use video games as, you know, a filter or escapism or ways to, you know, through which they view the world. So, I mean, it kind of, you know, in a kind of weird way, I mean, it, it makes sense. So I don't know. I like... just I, I wanted to talk about this because I just find like the psychology behind it so fascinating. It is fascinating. But when you when you say like, oh, I want to escape the scenario because this is not just it's climbing the charts. It's climbing the charts in, in China where where uh, uh, that is being that this country is being severely um, impacted by the virus so if it's an escape it's like oh i need to escape my uh uh my life where i'm being quarantined and they're shutting down public transport so i'm going to play this game that is sort of uh showing a virus taking over the whole world and then kind of battling it back after sort of mass chaos i don't know if that's a good escape i don't know if i'd want to be reminded like that it just seems well it's not see the and i I meant like a lot of people use video games for escapism like in their life in just in general in their lives and and as like a lens through which they can view the world and and help to maybe either cope with it or understand it and i think in this case it's more of an understanding thing than an escape thing because i think they they very much just want to try to understand because like obviously not everybody is a disease expert a scientist a a doctor or whatever so i think just understanding even if it is based on a you know fictional not necessarily scientific model then you know it just it helps people understand like how complex viruses can be and how things could possibly spread and i think that's why plague inc is is doing so well and it's it's i guess china's top paid ios game right now so it just yeah it's just so the way the human mind works and the things like you would think that they would want to distance themselves from anything that would remind them of this horrible thing that's happening right now but apparently you know the people would rather understand than forget which i find so so compelling and interesting yeah no it makes sense uh, so uh, we have one more story for you guys today. Uh, we've obviously been talking a whole lot about The Witcher in the past few weeks because uh, the Netflix show was just so good. I, <coughs> excuse me, really, really, really enjoyed it. And apparently there is now an anime movie that has been announced called Nightmare of the Wolf. And so this is basically going to be another Netflix special. And... I don't know if we 100% know what the story is that they're going to tell, 
but it's going to come sooner than season two of the actual live action Witcher. <laughs> yeah, well, they're not. It's not really clear whether it's going to be. I would imagine this is the this is the stopgap announcement in that. Yeah, no, season two is going to take a, a while. They are filming it right now. Um, but it took two years from filming to release, I think, with the first season. It was it was either that or a year and a half. Uh, they spent a lot of time working on it. So I, I feel like that with this anime being a film um, and not a series, they can kind of push something out in the sense that, okay, you get this, just, you know, December 2020, and then December 2021 or June 2021, you'll get season two of The Witcher. And I think the really cool part about this anime, and I think Netflix has had a really good track record um, with with uh, animes. I think the Castlevania series we've talked about on this show, um, not the same studio, Studio Mir, uh, the the folks, the Korean animation studio behind uh, Voltron, Legendary Defender, which is a current Netflix anime, but more importantly, The Legend of Korra, which mm. is the Avatar sort of sequel series, which highly regarded um and yeah i think this is a good thing um i loved cora man that was so good yeah i liked avatar too but yeah legend of cora was really really well done well i think for me like avatar was the first time i because growing up i'm used to like the pokemon anime and like um the, the beyblade and just these like you know things designed to sell toys and video games and then you watch avatar is like oh wait you can make a you can make a cartoon that is geared towards you know the younger generation and younger sort of uh you know television watchers and still make a really solid tv show like that really surprised me and and kind of changed my tune when it came to sort of anime um of this of this kind so i'm really excited about the witcher and i mean if they take the sort of castlevania approach where they just go they could just do everything they can with the witcher and they are sort of held back by sort of a live action sort of premise especially oh yeah very much so i mean yeah you can do so much right with animation and in video games that you can't do without a ginormous budget for sure oh it's gonna be crazy just you're gonna be seeing so much probably a lot of blood and gore i mean Mm -hmm. and you know so uh yeah this is really exciting i'm glad netflix is is throwing a uh do we make a toss a coin to your to your content enjoyers i don't know is is that a thing we should do (laughs) probably not i think you already tried and failed so let's just leave it at that yeah (laughs) but uh yeah the other thing the other news about the witcher uh netflix has had its q4 earnings report and apparently this is the biggest season one tv series ever with 76 million households watching the first season in the first four weeks that is so many people. Yeah. And, and that's they, and 76 can... million households, not 76 million people, 76 million households. So like our house has two people in it. Ryan's house has four people in it. Mm-hmm. Like the yeah, sheer my, my, number uh, of people. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. But you know what? I, you know, I, the I, point I, I'm I trying to prove is that, you know, it's not 76 million people who've watched The Witcher. It's 76 million households, which is so many. Even if you just think of it as like, two adults to a household that's like 150 million people have seen season one of the witcher that's just crazy to me it's based on a video game video game so it it feels like this is like the start of and i guess not the start of because we've had a couple of examples in the past couple of years but 
it feels like video game properties are starting to get to the point where, you know, like the early MCU did for like comic book stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like comic book movies were not the most amazing. They didn't have a lot of wide appeal. And then, you know, Marvel comes in and Iron Man starts up and things just kind of explode. And it feels similar now. It's like now there have been a couple of like not so great versions. Like, I'm so sorry, Warcraft movie, but you were kind of terrible. Um, it, like, it's just I feel like I liked it. OK, but I could fill in a lot of blanks and there were some really cool visuals. But anyways, we're not going down that it Warcraft movie film. thing. But I mean, it was not, yeah, not in the yeah. sense that it was like a you know, straight to YouTube type thing, but it was, it was a, it was a movie made for the fans and you just can't do that. Not when it's, <laughs> it went, not when there's a $300 million budget on the lines. And I think that's where the Marvel movies really nailed it is they made a fan film that also had mass appeal and Netflix, when we say, Oh, they adapted the games, like the games I find with the Witcher is what made the Witcher possible. I wouldn't know about the Witcher if it weren't for the games. So I think that yeah. right there at least connects it enough for us to talk about it. Uh, but when it comes to <laughs> sort of Netflix adapting the Witcher and doing more Witcher, I, I think you could see people looking at other, even simpler sort of properties to adapt and, and kind of looking, okay, how do we, how do we do this mass appeal? Like even a good example would be Zelda. I think Zelda is something you could adapt and it's not nearly as complex as the Witcher. And you could tell a very good story with that sort of core um, formula from the games. Yeah. And I think because just like Game of Thrones, uh, for the first, uh, they only had, what, was it six seasons, I think it was? They only did six seasons of Game of Thrones. Um, and uh, I'm it, not going to correct you because that's as far as you need to go. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. No, like uh, six seasons. <laughs> Six seasons in a movie, I think, is what they were planning to do. So we're still waiting on that <laughs> finale uh, to come out in theaters. Um, but, you know, Game of Thrones, I think, kicked it off. Lord of the Rings did a fantastic job as well, sort of uh, preparing the masses. Um, so I think Witcher is now... For, like, a, a big epic, like, fantasy. For everyone and to enjoy it and to make it worthwhile yeah. for these companies to spend hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think... I think The Witcher is going to help sort of craft uh, more of these these big budget sort of adaptations that that normally wouldn't see the light of day. So, yep, very much so. Uh, well, I think that's pretty much going to do it for us this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can head on over to our discord at bit.ly slash TGI discord or you can email the show at info at gamersandpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. You can find me, Jocelyn at Joss Plays, Ryan is at R. Murphy, and don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers Inn. Thanks for staying at The Gamers Inn. Remember, tune in next week. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. <laughs>